0: Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome all of you to worship this morning. If you're visiting uh, this morning, we're really glad to have you here. If you're online um, as part of Waterbrook or visiting with us, just uh, let me express on behalf of the church family that you are loved, and we pray that God would encourage you as well at home. I'll be praying for Marianne and I. We take off tomorrow, and, uh, or actually I take off tomorrow, and uh, I'm headed to uh, Fort Lauderdale tomorrow and then to Gusagalpa uh, on Tuesday, so I'll be uh, away to see my family, so I'm looking forward to that and appreciate your prayers over us. And then my dear wife is headed uh, to Jakarta, Indonesia, And uh, Bangkok, and then we're going to meet up in Florida. So pray for us, because it's going to be warm the whole time. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, not not sorry, you know what? But pray, you know, uh, one of the things I just want to uh, just acknowledge is just how amazing the Lord is. Uh, Marianne has been um, following her webpage, some of her web uh, uh, work that she's done online and just the countries that are tracking with English as a second language using the Bible. And some of the darkest places and some of the hardest to reach places, there are people that are reaching out on a regular basis, not just occasionally, but on a regular basis, wanting the Word of God. And so just pray for blessing as we travel, as she travels. And uh, there'll be times when we're apart, but just pray for that. And then I get to go see uh, my grandkids in Honduras. So I'm, I haven't met Rowie yet, so I'm looking forward to going and meeting. Rowan, and, uh, and uh, just laughing and having fun with him. A um, couple things. At the very end of that text that Mauricio just read, I'm just going to plant this seed. Notice that the key problem in the text is people not wanting Jesus to reign over them. And uh, even as I'm preaching this morning, ask yourself the question, Jesus, where am I resisting your reign in my heart? Right? Rather than just kind of theoretically look out there, just invite Jesus to use this text. The other part uh, thing I want to point out to you is there are moments in life where we need paradigm shifts, like radical paradigm shifts in a moment. I don't know if you've ever had this, but there are times. This is, like, this is one of those, pull the car over for a second. Um, because what's about to happen is going to rock your world. You know, and I have had moments in my life as a pastor where I've I've literally had to pull the car over. And I realized that the next part of this life and relationship will never be the same. Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. And up till now what we've been reading in Luke's gospel is that his face is fixed towards Jerusalem. He is on his way. Now it shifts. He's near. And at this moment, as he is just told in the previous verses, he's told those that are with him that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save um, those that are lost. They are about to get firsthand experience of what that actually means. And so he has to do some paradigm shifting for them Um, because their view of how the kingdom would advance, their view of how they would be a part of it, is about to be um, shaken right to its roots. That the Son of Man is going to suffer. And that he is going to be crucified on a cross. He's He's been telling them, just in the previous chapter, he told them that he would be beaten, that he would be betrayed. He's told them that he's going to be arrested. He's told them that he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put to death and on the third day be raised again. In the previous chapter, it said they did not understand. They couldn't get their heads around it. And they're going to have a hard time getting their heads around it as well. But what Jesus is about to show them is that his kingdom is different than any other kingdom. And his way of ruling is different than any other way of ruling. This king goes down before he goes up. This king goes to a cross in order that he might take the crown. And that's what he calls us to do as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words which I think are really helpful for us to hear this morning. He said a king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Think about that. A king who dies on a cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Countercultural. At radically opposite to what everybody would think a king would look like. Think about Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer in, the, in World War II, uh, very early on in the war, began to work with the resistance to the Nazis. And he was involved in seeking to get um, people out of Germany, Jews out of Germany, and also how they might get intelligence sh- uh, uh, spread so that they might slow down Hitler's agenda. Well, in 1943, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is arrested. April 9th, uh, 1945, he's put to death. Almost making it to the end. Almost making it. But as uh, he is being put to death, historians have recorded uh, the last moments of his life. One historian wrote this The SS doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's death, later recalled a man, and this is how he described him, devout, brave, and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. Now this is what the SS doctor who was there overseeing his death said, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. That's a Nazi soldier watching Bonhoeffer die. I've never Seen somebody die so entirely submissive to the will of God. How do you do that? How does that happen? It happens this way, that your view of the kingdom looks very different than the kingdoms of this world. That the advancement of the kingdom does not look the way others. That's why Bonhoeffer says a king who dies on a cross must be the king, a leader of a very strange kingdom. Bonhoeffer wrote George Bell in England. This is his last message to him. He said, this is the end and for me the beginning of life. Powerful. So as we're opening up this text and Jesus is now nearing Jerusalem, Jesus has to do a paradigm shift. Because they will not understand. And you and I need to hear this for the same reason that we want to be in a position most of the time where the kingdom looks like power and strength, not brokenness and weakness. We want to be influencers. We want to be culturally accepted. And we find regularly that the message of the gospel seems marginalized. Those who pronounce the gospel seem to be you know, radical and fringe and we would rather be accepted and applauded. But my dear friends, it doesn't read that way. And you shouldn't despair. Because this is the king over all the kings of the world. And he has gone down, but he has come up. And, I, and what I want you to look at this morning, I want you to do a paradigm shift. I'm going to ask you some questions. What was Jesus focused on now as he shifted gears and drew near to Jerusalem? What was he focused on? And then secondly, what was his expectation for his disciples? What did he want them to be aware of after he died and ascended into heaven? And then finally, what's heaven going to be like? Because what I want you to see is that the cruciform life, the, the humble life, the servant life is all of what Jesus is about. It's what he's calling us to. To die to ourselves that we might reign with him. It looks very different. And that's why we backtrack to that question I asked at the beginning. I ask you to say, Lord, is there any way, any part in my life where I am resistant to your reign? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're way higher, way more profound. So let's look at this text of scripture where Jesus comes and he stops. It says in verse 11 of Luke 19, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they were supposing that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So they thought, okay, the kingdom of God is here. And they had a whole vision of what the kingdom of God would look like. And so the question I want to ask initially is, what is Jesus focused on? And Jesus is clearly focused on establishing what I want to call his cross-shaped kingdom. So Jesus wants to correct what they're expecting that's about to happen. He wants to fix it. And so in order to fix what's going on, he tells a parable. And this is the parable that he tells. Look at verse Twelve. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. I want you to stop there and say, what is Jesus focusing on now that Jerusalem is right in front of him? Kingdom. He's actually not telling a parable about the cross, even though it is part of this story. He's actually talking a story about the story about the crown. A king is about to go and get his kingdom. Where's Jesus right now, by the way? Ruling. Ruling. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who announced good news, uh, uh, announced good news proclaiming news of happiness. Our God what? Reigns. reigns. You, you guys, that's bad. That was the weakest <laughs> assertion. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to say it again. Our God reigns. reigns. Ooh, that was better. Now I want you to say all three words, not just me saying two and you one. Say it together. Our God reigns. Do you believe that? You got to hold on to that. So he is going down in order to come up. He is focused on the other side of the cross. Already he's on the other side of the cross. Already he knows that in order for him to take the crown, he must take the cross. Jeremy Treat says the kingdom is the ultimate goal of the cross and the cross is the means by which the kingdom comes. Got that? So Jesus is not simply going to the cross and that's the end of the story. In fact, I challenge you, read the book of Acts. I I challenge you, read all of the epistles. When you read the epistles, you will see that the writers, when you read Acts, are profoundly affected by the fact that when Jesus died for our sins, that wasn't the end of the story, that was the beginning of the story. That he had taken his crown, he was established in his kingdom. And, And you and I are to live our lives in light of that reality. Jesus was about to dismantle the kingdoms of darkness. He was to conquer sin and death. He was to be raised triumphant over all things. And so he tells this parable. There's a guy, king, a ruler, who's going off to receive a kingdom for himself. And while he's away, he gives instructions. You know, when he says this in this context, the people hearing it would go, ooh, there would be a rumble. Because this is fresh in Jewish history. In 4 AD, King Herod the Great dies. After King Herod is King Archelaus. Now Archelaus immediately began to rule after King Herod the Great died, but when he began to rule, he faced opposition. His family opposed him, and many of the people were opposing him, and he could not officially rule over Israel unless he had Caesar Augustus' seal of approval. So he travels to see Caesar Augustus in order to be made officially the king over Israel. Now, as he travels there, the the Jewish people send 50 leaders to oppose him. Does that sound like this parable at all? They send a delegation to say, we don't want him to be king. They would go, oh, we know who this is about. And when when, uh, Archelaus went to Caesar Augustus, and they talked, and people opposed, Caesar Augustus made a decision. He said, I'm going to give you a shot at it. And he sent Archelaus back as king of Israel. Guess what? The first thing Archelaus did when he got back home he slaughtered everybody that opposed him, he asserted his authority. That's in their mind. That's what's going on. Now Jesus is writing a different narrative, a different story, because in that narrative, the way the kings of this world establish their kingdom is by crushing everybody else, by taking your life. That's what's going on in our world right now, all over the world. How do we assert our kingdoms? How do we have dominions? How do we expand our empires by crushing human beings? This king's a different king. This is the king who is crushed in order to establish his kingdom. Again, friends, are you not glad that's our king? That's what's happening here. Philip Ryken says it's almost exactly what happened to Archelaus. And then he said, this king, this high king, he would travel to a far country to get it, passing through death, an empty grave before being crowned in the courts of heaven and eventually returning to his people. Jesus has come to go to the cross to establish a kingdom by which he delivers us at the sacrifice of among his own self. That's repeated all the way through the scriptures. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is going to die to forgive our sins so that we might live no longer on the tyranny of Satan. But under the king who lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned how now? Crowned with glory because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Why is Jesus exalted to the highest place? The only reason that he has the throne right now is because he took the cross. Philippians writes, That God, because he humbled himself and took on the form of a human and became an obedient servant even to the point of being dead killed on a cross, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue would confess. That's a different king. King who dies on a cross must have a very strange kingdom. Revelation begins, John writes, And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, And the what? Rulers Rulers of the kings of the earth. When there's a decision being made at the Minnesota State Legislature on abortion, and we're horrified at what's going on, let's remind ourselves that there are rulers on earth, but there's a ruler in heaven to which all kings will answer. Right? This king is the king over all the rulers of the earth. Now listen to what it says. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins, and by his blood, and made us a kingdom. I want you to just hear that. He made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and honor and dominion forever, right? That's what we've been singing all morning. The king who has taken our sin is now seated on the right hand, and he has made us a kingdom of priests. King, we rule with him. You see, we are to look at Jesus and say, why is he going to the cross? Here's the paradigm shift. By going down, he will go up and reign forever. He has satisfied God. He's satisfied the forgiveness of our sins. He has delivered us from Satan. He has made us a new kingdom. So here's the other thing. He is went to the cross in order not only to become the king, but to establish a kingdom, a cross-shaped kingdom. Jeremy Treat writes, The kingdom is the ultimate goal of the cross, and the cross is the means by which the kingdom comes. The cross is the throne from which Jesus rules and establishes his kingdom. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus hanging on the cross changes the narrative completely. It all changes. Jesus being crucified and satisfying God's justice suddenly changes the whole narrative, so now he's got a kingdom that is shaped like that. So when you see Jesus on the cross, suddenly you realize he is destroying sin. He has been given authority, and now he calls us to follow in his stead, in his, in his, in his path, sorry. Listen to John as he writes in the Gospel of John chapter 3. No one is ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's before our famous John 3.16. Before you know John 3.16, and you quote John 3.16, remember that what is being said by John before that is that Jesus Christ went to the cross and was lifted up so that all men looking to him might be saved glorious news sin is defeated god is satisfied the wrath is removed and now we are free 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 at last from such dominion and so it changes the whole story this is not a kingdom of ego and power this is a kingdom of humility and death so he starts to tell them as he pulls the car to the side and he's about to go into jerusalem this is not like any earthly kingdom it's different. It's a whole different way. And he says it to you today. He says it to me. This is, we don't do it the way the world does it. We don't do it with power. We do it with humility. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it by humbling ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. John, uh, You see all the way through with Jesus' disciples, you know, the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, James and John, the the tough guys. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, the tough guy's mommy comes to talk to Jesus. Listen to what they say when she asks them. She says, can my boys sit on your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom of God? And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? that I am to drink? And they said, we're able. And Jesus said to him, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who have been, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And then the ten who heard it got angry at the two brothers. Oh, we're a smart bunch, right? Right? Oh, you're asking for authority. You want position. You want power. Jesus says, You want position in my power and power in my kingdom? The way up is down. The crown never comes without a cross. You want to be ruled? That's what he says. That's how the narrative starts. We have to look and see that Jesus has come to establish a cross shaped kingdom. Secondly, what does Jesus expect from his disciples? The answer is Jesus expects us to engage in kingdom business till he returns. He expects us to start to build a cross-shaped kingdom. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says, when the nobleman goes off, he calls 10 of his servants. He gives them 10 minas, and he says to them, engage in business until I come. 10 minas is like three months' wages. Uh, each mina is worth three months' wages. And, it, and uh, he says, engage in business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Notice there's an assumption here that by taking the minas and investing them in the kingdom, there would be a gain. It says, and, he's, and the first one, verse 16, came to him and said, Lord, your mina has made Ten minas more. Now, you and I just need to stop and realize that one, we see Jesus going to the cross in order that he might ascend to the crown and, and have the throne over all things. Now that he's reigning over all things, what should we expect? That he will exercise that authority in the advancement of the gospel. That's, that's the book of Acts. That's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. God in the power will take and do miraculous things through a group of people with ten minas. Ten minas. You see how much it costs to battle Russia today? Or even try to do war to a, a, a to battle an empire that's going on? Jesus ascends into heaven and, and then he, he hands out to these people, this parable tells, he just gives them three months. There's your budget for the kingdom. Go build. Oh, my dear friends, that's us. The kingdom of God is not built by our strength. But the kingdom of God is a group of people who have been made cruciform by Christ and sent out in the power of the risen and reigning Christ. If, he, if the Lord doesn't build the house, my dear friends, this kingdom ain't going anywhere. Right? Jeremy Treat says, the cross creates a community of ransomed people living under the reign of God. My dear friends, what's the hope of Waterbrook? What's the hope of your life? What's the hope of going to Jakarta, Indonesia to, to learn who needs curriculum and what they need. The hope is not in our power and our ability. The hope is in the fact that Jesus has already won the victory and he said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he will take that little five loaves of two fish of your life and he'll miraculously make it into far more. That's the story of history. That's what God's done down through time. He hasn't taken mighty people and impressed them. He's taken weak and broken people and he sent them out and and, and through them by the power of the Holy Spirit stunned them. Notice what they say when they come back to 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 the man when he returns with his kingdom. They say, your mina has produced 10 minas more. Isn't that great? They didn't say look what we did they said look what you did and that's exactly the experience of the christian friends the church as weak as we are we are the instrument with our brokenness with our frailty i love that waterbrook we're a messy bunch of people for one reason because the glory if anything happens belongs to the king And the hope of this church is in the one who has triumphed over sin and now seated at the right hand. God can do anything. That's what we just saw. With man, it's what? Impossible. With God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? It's true because he's on the throne. Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert write, the church is the primary arena God has chosen to make his redemptive reign over his people visible. Wow. So the kingdom of God then is, his, is God's redemptive reign in the person of his son, Jesus Messiah, who is broken into the present evil age and is now visible in the, ch- in the church. My dear friends, it's, it's an amazing thing that this weak group of people is the hope of the world. But it's only possible because Jesus is king of the world, reigning at the right hand. Jeremy Treat again he writes to be a Christian means that we're not only forgiven through the cross but we're made followers of the king. We are saved from sin in the kingdom of darkness but we are saved for Jesus and the kingdom of light. The self-giving love of God displayed in the cross creates a people who lovingly give of themselves for the well-being of others. And so what does Jesus charge the church with doing? He has charged the church to go out and follow the King, take up your cross and follow Him. In our weakness, in our brokenness, in our suffering, we go out and somehow this, the ten minas of whatever He's given us, isn't that, is that not exciting to you? Amen. I know that's what makes my wife run up to the office and begin working on curriculum. It's not because she thinks, "Wow, I've got something to offer." She goes, "What if the Lord would be pleased?" What if the Lord would open somebody's heart, somebody's eyes through someone like me? What if the hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me paid the price of all my sins on Calvary? Isn't that the encouragement? That's the encouragement. We need to look at this parable as Jesus pulls the car over and tells us that where you focus is not what you're about to see here, but what you're about to see accomplished through me when I go on on high, and I am fulfilling all those prophecies. There's a long story of a son of David, of a king coming, and, and, and that king will reign. He'll be exalted. He'll be given all power, Daniel says. He'll be seated at the right hand of glory, right? With the clouds of glory, power over him, and all the nations will be ruled him. That's our Jesus. That's our king. That's true today, my dear friends. That's the narrative. It's not the news. It's not the politics. It's not. Remember Gideon? When Gideon was called to lead, God said, you better weed it out. There's too many of you. Because if I keep a whole bunch of you going into war like that, you're going to walk away and say, oh, it was us who did it. God says, let's narrow it down to 300. And when it gets done, what will we say? To God be the glory, great things he has done. That's what this kingdom looks like. Boy, I look at you and I go, wow. What can the king of glory do with someone like you? I would look at absolutely, absolutely every single one of you in the name of Jesus. And believe that if God by His reign and rule decided to use your few minus minus of gifts dedicated to Him, He could turn and did turn. He did it, right? Book of Acts. He turned. These people are turning the world upside down. Oh God, let it be so. Let it be so. Finally, I want to ask the question, what will heaven and hell be like? This is the answer in this text because there's a judgment moment and, and there's reward and punishment based on the, what you did with the, the meanness that were given. And, it's, and, and this is what we see. Heaven will be the infinite capacity for love and service and hell will be the irrevocable loss of the opportunity for love and service. Just think about that. When, when these men come to the man, uh, the king, the ruler, who's got his kingdom, and they say, your, your minas have produced 10 more. They've produced five more. They announce what the return is. What does he say? Way to go. Well done. Go on a holiday. You can, you can pack it in now. Just rest. You've done your thing. No, he says what most of us would not want to hear in our flesh You get 10 cities now instead of 10 minutes, right? What's he doing? He's telling them that in the kingdom of God, the reward that is given to you for faithful service is greater faithful service. So just in case you think heaven is gonna be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, let me disavow you. It will not be that boring. I can't describe it all, but what I'll tell you, it'll be For the rest of eternity, us growing in the opportunity to serve and humble ourselves and bless one another as the Lamb who is ruling over has committed Himself as the God man to do forever for all of us. That's the reward of heaven. Jesus said and taught us, Paul says, there Luke writes and Paul preaches in Acts, that it is more blessed to what? to give and, to, and then to receive. Our world rebels against that. We just want to do our own thing. We want to get to that day where no one tells us what to do and we can, we can control our own schedules. Whatever that means, my dear friends, if it means not serving Christ, not following Christ, not serving others, you don't know where real joy rests. You're, you're, he pulls the car over and says, let me tell you where this ends up. It ends up with a whole kingdom of people who are committed in the power of God to serving one another with greater degree for all eternity you know what hell is you you buried that mina in a hanky take that mina and give it to the guy with 10 he's already got 10 yeah that's how it works in the kingdom of god in the kingdom of god service is your reward opportunity is your reward You get a return on the investment so you can get a return on the investment so you can get a return on the investment. Compound interest in the kingdom of God for all eternity. My dear friends, it's going to be a riot. It's going to be so good to love one another, to serve one another. To have people from every tribe and tongue and people group around the Lamb glorying in Him. And hell will have... You, yourself, and I, alone with nothing to do and no one to serve but yourself forever. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it will be opened to them. That's a sickening pit in your stomach thought that there will be some people who have said, I will serve no one but myself. I'll serve my own agenda. That on that day, all they will have is themselves and their own agenda. That's not love, that's hate. That's not joy, that's hollow, empty despair. My dear friends, what are you choosing? What what is the paradigm by which you define your life? Are, Are you on that target to finally getting the place that nobody can tell you what to do with your life? Run away from that to Jesus because I'll tell you what Jesus is doing forever he's sitting at the right hand as the great God man interceding and blessing and pouring out his blessings with joy forever in your presence is fullness of what joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore don't miss that day because you want to be selfish Lay down your life for the one who laid down his life for you. Not because you can merit, because he will reward you. He'll do miracles. He can use you. Trust me, he can use you. Not because you, not because of you being impressive. That's why I'm your pastor. Amen. Why did I know that was going to happen? I just knew it was going to happen. I just waited a second too long. (laughs) You know what? We love you. <laughs> Thank you. So I always have in the back of my mind um, Richard Baxter's line preaches the dying men to dying people. I'm going away for a month. We may not meet till heaven. Whatever the case may be may Jesus come quickly. And wherever we are found, may we be found busy about the Lord's work. Not because of what we will do, but because he can do great things through a people who yield themselves by faith to him. Is that not good news, friends? It's quick. This is quick. And then, like Bonhoeffer said, this is the end. Now my life begins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this text, we begin to wrestle with our hearts and we say, oh Lord, you are worthy. Who is worthy to have dominion? We we join the elders in revelation and we cast the crowns down at your feet if you were to reward us for any faithfulness we would realize that it's all of grace and it's all of you and i would pray heavenly father that while you give us life and while you give us breath that we would follow fast on uh, after jesus and say there is nothing better to do than to serve this king oh a king who would die on a cross uh what a strange kingdom that might be but it is the strangest and most wonderful kingdom And it's the only kingdom that will last forever. So Jesus, rule over us, reign over us, and bless us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.